Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. So we, we conclude this series this month on uh, joy before the fall. And what do I mean by that title? The series this month has been joy before the fall. What does joy look like perfectly? What does the family look like perfectly? When we look all the way back just to the first two chapters of the Bible, the first two chapters of the Bible are when there is zero sin in the world. When there is no death, no sin, no disruption, no dysfunction, The very first two chapters, guess how many chapters come after that to the book of Revelation? A ton more. We only get a brief snippet of what the world was like in its perfect state. We only get a brief snippet of what perfect relationship with God between man and woman was like. We only get a brief snippet of what the perfect marriage looked like before the fall. And we don't get a ton of detail, but we get enough to be able to stand on the truth that joy and peace and love were in perfect harmony in that first perfect family. And guess what we've been doing since then? Striving for that. Some of us strive in ways that are in vain because we strive in ways to do that in our own strength and power. But we can't strive in our own strength and power to have a perfect family. And that's why when I do marriages or when I, when I talk to families and do family counseling together with them, here's what happens. I talk about this foundation of Christ in the home. You want to have some level of normalcy and peace in your home, you can't have that apart from Christ. Relationships are broken because Christ is not in the picture. But this is what I want to talk about this morning, is what did it look like? What was it like in that first husband and wife relationship. And why is it different now than it was then? Well, we'll talk about that. I came across this article, and I might have actually given you this illustration in times past, but bear with me if I have. I I just think it's a humorous point to illustrate. It's an article in the publication Campus Life. Uh, It has this story about family confusion and dysfunction that's kind of humorous, so bear with me. If you think your family, it goes on to say, if you think your family has problems, consider the marriage mayhem created when 76-year-old Bill Baker of London wed Edna Harvey. She happened to be his granddaughter's husband's mother. Granddaughter's husband's mother. Now let me kind of break that down. She happened to be his granddaughter's husband's mother. That's where the, 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 the confusion began. According to Baker's granddaughter, Lynn, listen, my mother-in-law is now my step-grandmother. My grandfather is now my stepfather-in-law. My mom is my sister-in-law. My brother is my nephew. But even crazier is that I'm now married to my uncle and my own children are my cousins. From this experience, Lynn should gain profound insight into the theory of relativity. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good dad joke. I should have used that one yesterday. All right, so here's the thing. True story. 
I'm getting a little feedback. True story. Um, my stepfather's half-brother, who was older than him, was married to my dad's aunt, which made my stepdad's half-brother his uncle. Yeah, it's only in Kentucky. <laughs> but I'm not blood-related there, so all is well. All right? There is dysfunction in family. Guess what? The Bible is full of family dysfunction. Did you know that? If you're here this morning and you think, I've come to church and the roof hasn't fallen in yet or lightning hasn't struck, guess what? You're in the right place because the church is not only built on Christ and the foundation of God, but God builds into people that are the most imperfect in the world. You cannot read scripture without finding people that you resonate with. And you say, oh, that sounds just like me. Or that sounds like my wife or my husband or my children. That sounds like my dad or my mom or any number of things when you start to really unpack the scripture. The scripture is full of imperfect people that God decided were worth building into. Today, we look at Genesis chapter 2. Verses 18 through 25. And I want to show you a picture of God or of man's excitement and joy in God's created order. So listen to this. This is kind of the, well, not kind of, this is the creation of woman. Verse 18 Then the Lord said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one of them. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. Now, some of the versions actually say from his side. The better interpretation is not a rib, believe it or not, but took from the side of man material to make the woman from. He brought her to the man, and this is man's response. At last! The man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Be careful that you do not read into the text what is not there. Be careful that you don't read your 21st century perspective into the text and the context of this ancient piece of scripture. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. Verse 24, this explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Here's the key point this morning. We should rejoice in God's creation for what he created is good. Now let me give you a little bit of background for that because we live in a fallen and broken world and we know that sin has invaded and evaded every bit of all we are and where we are. 
right? You can't turn on the news or read the newspaper, turn on social media and not see the ramifications of a broken and fallen world, right? When is the last time you saw a bit of positive news anywhere, right? So here's the deal. How is there still goodness in God's creation? We should delight in God's creation for it is good. See, just because it was good before doesn't mean it's not good now. The problem with what is not good about God's creation now is the perversion with which we have used it or abused it. Okay? But things do die and degrade now the way they didn't in the early, uh, before the fall times. So things are still good. Things are still good, but they are not perfectly good the way God created them to be. So as we break down this passage today, let me look at the husband and wife relationship. The husband delighted in the woman. Men, do you delight in the women in your lives? And women, do you delight in the men in your lives? Or do you harbor unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment? Is there a deep-rooted sense of, oh, I can't stand them? It's a good question, right? What do you do? How do you love? Whom do you love, and is your love conditional? F.F. Bruce and Walker Kaiser, theologians, they write this, the full life is a life that finds its fulfillment in community with another person or group of persons. Here's the first point this morning with Adam and Eve as we look at the context of this. How is there joy in creation? Adam is excited at the sight of Eve because she literally, I don't mean to use a Terry McGuire, Jerry McGuire, Terry McGuire. Sorry, it's, is it Jerry? Thank you. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you don't, there's a movie out there from the early 2000s, maybe it's a late, late 1990s, called Jerry Maguire. And there's a girl in there, and she says, you complete me. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not recommending the movie. I just remember that, and I'm not playing off of that. But Adam is super excited. Why? Because he sees this bone of his bone, this flesh of his flesh. And, and he sees her in the context, not as a gift given to him so that he could lord over her, but rather as an equal co-partner in the created order to hold and have dominion and governments, governance over God's creation. This is before the fall. Adam is excited at the sight of Eve because she literally completes him as a suitable helper. Theologians Kaiser and Bruce go on to explain the Hebrew use of the word that is translated helper. There's an actual Hebrew word. It's extremely hard to translate. It's called ezer, helper, ezer. Theologians, Bible translators have tried and tried and tried. You get any number of translations of scripture, NLT, NRSV, KJV, any of the other VVVs, and you put them laid out, you're going to find any number of translations. Do you know the best way to translate that, according to most theologians, is in the context of strength. This word ezer not only means helper, but it means strength. So she was created as the strength of Adam. Do you know that? 
Do you know where we often find the word Ezer in scripture throughout the Old Testament? You wanna take a shot? God. Psalm 30, verse 20, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our Ezer, our shield. Psalm 70, verse 5, but as for me, I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my Ezer and my Savior. O Lord, do not delay. Psalm 115, verse 9, O Israel, trust the Lord. He is your Ezer and your shield. The most times Ezer is used in reference, it's in reference to God. Now, look back. I am not an ultra-feminist. You'll find me as being a very conservative guy. But I do love to understand and rightly divide the word of God, not because I want it to say something that it, it doesn't, but because I want to honestly understand scripture for all it's worth. I am not an ultra, I, there are ultra fem, feminists that grab onto this passage of scripture and they abuse it. And there are ultra, ultra fundamentalists within the Christian church that grab onto this and they abuse the interpretation of it. But do you understand, there is a better way to understand this without being abusive in either way or either extreme. Do you understand that? So do you, I hope you're here this morning and you want to hear what was God's original purpose before the fall? See, we interpret things through the lens of the fall. God interprets things through the lens of his perfect love and you see the perfect love perfectly creating a perfect creation and perfect relationships. We're the ones who mess it up. Whose ideals are best? What I think or what God thinks? Of course God's. So let's continue. So now consider Adam's response at first meeting Eve. The response of joy. This is now, at last, he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh because she was taken from man. This isn't a way of him macho around with some big ego trip. He doesn't have sin in his life at this point. He doesn't have pride. But we read pride into the context because of the bent of sin in our culture. This is what is happening here. He's like, yes, I've got... I've got somebody who's like me. Not a pig who oinks or a horse who neighs. I'm not, see, and you're reading into what I'm saying. I'm not saying women are that way. He's saying she's not like that. She's perfect for me. She completes me. Because she's a part, physically a part of me. Husbands, wives, those of you who are in relationships and are considering marriage, or those of you who desire relationships like that, and someday God will give that to you, but it's just not happening. This is the foundation for the sacred union of marriage. That's why husband leaves father and mother, cleaves to his wife, and the two become one. They were already one to begin with. 
for they are of the same substance. This is much like the perfect picture of the Holy Trinity. When God says in Genesis 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 27, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Again, we read into the context of that with these eyes that are corrupted by sin and death. But if we're able to pull those blinders off and look at what God created perfectly, we find perfect fulfillment by living into what God created us for originally. This us that God created us to be like, let us create man. Who, were there other humans before Adam and Eve? Who was he creating them in, in the image of? Some scholars think it could be angels. He's talking to the angels. Hey, guys, ladies, let's, let's uh, create somebody like us in our own image. No, the angels don't factor into the equation right here. You see, God exists in perfect unity, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three different gods, but one God in three essence or substance. And now Adam is proclaiming as God had perfectly designed it as he takes woman from man to create somebody like him, a helper suitable for him, a help meet, an ezer, his strength. Do you know there is no other time prior to this in scripture that God says something's not good? Did you catch that? Everything was good after every day of creation until we get to day six and he creates man and he says, oh, something's not right here. It's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates the animals and he brings them to Adam. He names them, but it's almost as if there's a disconnect between Adam and the rest of the animal kingdom out there. And God says, I know what I'll do. And he puts Adam in a deep sleep and he takes from Adam's side this beauty that would complete him. This amazing creation. Do you respect and honor the beauties that are given to you in your life through the relationships God has allowed you to be in? Do you respect and honor them as strength and hope in your life? Do you respect and honor them as people who complete you? You see, what God was doing was not only creating the marital union, he was creating community. For, from those two people would come more people, would become more people. And we've been reading through the Bible this year, and you should be close to Leviticus, if not in Leviticus at this point in your daily readings. And you've read through some of the, and so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so, and you get really bored to tears so looking at all these names and trying to pronounce them, Right? But see, the purpose is to help you understand that all of these begets and begottens and all of that originate from one perfect union. They originate from a perfect place and a perfect garden and God's perfect creation where there was perfect relationship. And we've been trying to get back to that ever since everything fell apart. And everybody else has their own spin, their own interpretation, their own histories and backgrounds in which they view through this lens, these passages of scripture, when God says, I want you to take those lenses off. I'm not discounting your history, your past, your background, or your personality type, but I want you to take all that off and I want you to see through my lens. 
I want you to see what I see, what I have expected and hoped and dreamed of for you. But you can't do that unless you're willing to lay yourself down and take me in, he says. That's why Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, Luke chapter 9, you must what? First, deny yourselves daily. Take up your cross and follow me. We don't do a good job of denying ourselves. We don't deny ourselves food. We don't deny ourselves sex. We don't deny ourselves drugs or any kind of pleasure that we have out there. And maybe yours aren't as extreme as that, but you don't deny yourself time away from social media. You don't deny yourself anything that we might consider good, but we overindulge in. Do we? What would it truly look like for a church to come to a place where we say, you know what? Every one of us in this place for this next week are going to completely deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. What do you think would happen in your workplace, in your home? What do you think would actually happen where you go? If you were denying yourselves, your wants, your desires, that doesn't mean that you don't eat. It doesn't mean you go to the extreme and say, oh, woe is me, and you walk around just, no. When you're going through this, you walk as if you are confident in who you are and in whose you are because you're his and you're not your own. What would our society look like if a church lived that way, not just for a week, but for a month? If we truly took the words of Christ and decided to honor and be joyful in what and who he has created around us and saw them as the image bearers of God for who they are, even if they're the most despicable person ever, but you honor them because they bear the image of God. They may not be a child of God because they haven't accepted Christ into their lives, but they are still yet an image bearer of God. What if we honored them and took joy in the fact that God created them and that he sees them with love and joy and purpose, except they just aren't fulfilling that because they're truly lost. They're hopeless and afraid. And they act out in ways that hurt other people at times because they don't know how to get out of where they are. And some people don't even care of getting out of where they are. But that's not on us. That's on them. What is on us is to be image bearers of God showing others what life and truth and freedom looks like. What life and community looks like in its perfect setting. If you go into a relationship seeing what you can get out of it, you've already failed. Do you hear me? Well, I'm not doing this, that, or the other because I'm not accepted or I'm not welcomed. You've not denied yourself. You've just gone in with the pride on your shoulder saying, I'm not getting what I want. But God's kingdom is totally different than that, isn't it? See, I don't go into my marital relationship for what I can get out of it, but for what I can give into it. Do I do it perfectly? No, you can ask Sarah Lee after service. She could tell you the many pitfalls and weaknesses of her husband. 20 years of marriage. It is hard work, ladies and gentlemen. And it's still going to be hard as years go on. It's gotten easier because we've learned what it means to live in oneness together. 
But sometimes the enemy finds his way in with these little agreements in the mind that says, well, if they really loved you or if they really cared about you, wouldn't they do X, Y, or Z? And you're like, oh, yeah, they would. That's right. If they really loved me, they would have pressed my shirts. If they really loved me, they would have put gas in my car. Now, I'm not saying that's one gender or another. You pick, pick that out in your own families. But you understand what I'm getting at here? See, the enemy is a master deceiver, and if he can get you thinking thoughts of disagreement, guess what happens? You get sucked right in to the very same deception that happened in Genesis 3 when the serpent, who is more crafty than any other wild animals out there, wraps himself up around somewhere in the mix of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God said don't eat from. And Eve is close to mine, and he says, Psst, come here. Sorry, isn't that cool? Because <laughs> there's this serpent, and a forked tongue. Psst, come here. And she's like, yeah, what's up? Because guess what? She's innocent. She doesn't see him as somebody to avoid. Everything is perfect. Hey, come here, Eve. Did, did God really say you can't eat from any of the fruit of the trees in the garden? No, God didn't say that. He says we can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know that one you're, the one you're wrapped around? That, that one. Because if we eat it, we'll die. We shouldn't even touch it, she says. Now, who told Adam about the tree and not to eat it for you'll die? That was God. Eve wasn't created yet. Who told Eve? Adam. You see the sequence of events here? Now, but see, everything was perfect. She trusted Adam completely. She trusted God completely. There was no need to think, well, is he really telling me the truth? Because no lie had entered the garden except through the serpent. And he wasn't even lying. He was, did God really say? It was a question. Do you catch that? It wasn't a statement. But here's what happens. He says, oh, okay. So the serpent, he goes, Oh, you won't really die. Now there's a lie. But she didn't die instantaneously. You won't die because here's the deal. God knows you'll become just like him, knowing both good and evil. Go ahead, it's okay. And she looks at it and she has no reason to doubt him because no lie has entered before. She doesn't even know what a lie is. She doesn't know what sin is. She doesn't quite know what death is except for the fact that God says if they eat this, they will die. Has she ever experienced death? So she partakes because it does look good and it looks sweet and the color is amazing and she takes some of it. Oh, and it tastes so good. And she realizes something. I'm not dead. Adam, you got to try this. And he's noticed, well, she's not dead. Maybe God was wrong. Maybe the serpent's right. And so he eats. And in a moment, what happens? Oh, my gosh. 
oh, oh my. <laughs> they recognize they're naked. But see, in chapter 2, what, what did we learn? Let's go back there. It says, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and join to his wife, and the two are united in one. In verse 25, this is so poignant. And the man and his wife were both naked but felt no shame. You see, this is what happens whenever deception enters a relationship, whenever lies enter a relationship, whenever uh, disobedience to God's laws enter a relationship. Guess what happens? We go into this process of hiding. We don't rejoice in God's creation anymore because as a part of God's creation, when we mess up, things aren't good for us, are they? Hello? Did I lose you? Okay, I just want to make sure you're still with me. So what do we do with all of that? Where do we go with all of this? Well, let's look at point two. As a suitable suitable helper, Eve is joined to Adam as an equal partner to govern all of God's creation. Some of you in here have a struggle or don't believe that it's scriptural to have a woman on stage. I know that or to have a woman as an elder of a church. Some of you believe it's perfectly okay. We are a church that ordains women for ministry at the highest levels of ministry. Our state pastor is a woman who oversees the churches in Western Pennsylvania. But see, what we oftentimes get labeled as is ultra-feminist, left-wing, whatever, fill in the blank, because we don't tote that line. What we understand about scripture is God's perfect design for creation. And if we are trying to be God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven and as kingdom representatives, we should be doing that. Should we live under the curse anymore? Or should we live under the freedom in Jesus Christ where there is no male, female, Protestant, Catholic, none of that stuff. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you are one in Christ Jesus together. So, well, what do you do with passages from Timothy and Titus where it says a woman shouldn't speak, a woman needs to have this or shouldn't do that? You have to understand cultural context. Well, why don't we do that with homosexuality? I get that often. Let me, I'm, this is not in my notes, so here, let me set this right here for just a minute. I don't want to get overtly political. This is completely biblical, and I want you to understand this. There are normative and non-normative teachings in scriptures. What, does norm, what is the root word for normative? norm or normal when something is normal in scripture that means it's taught from genesis to revelation exactly the same way what is taught about homosexuality gender all of that stuff from genesis to revelation if you don't know then there's probably a clear indication you're not reading the word okay you need to be a student of the word. But what does the Bible teach from Genesis to Revelation? No, and keep, keep this in mind. The Bible was written, all 66 books, by over 40 different authors in over three different continents, over 1,500 years, one and a half millennia. Okay? So don't think it's, oh, it was only this little sliver back in this Middle Eastern culture at this one time, and, and it's misconstrued. It is over three different continents— Europe, Asia, and Africa. It is over 1,500 years by over 40 different authors before there was mass communication and mass publicizing and any social media, okay? There were no phones, not even Morse code. 
That's what this was. <laughs> when something is normative in Scripture, we base doctrine and theology on it. We say this is a non-negotiable in God's kingdom. Homosexuality is never allowed. Same-sex attraction, those kind of things, were never a part of God's original design because we weren't for created to live in those kind of relationships. Okay? You can hate me for that. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you the truth from what I understand of Scripture. Normatively, from Genesis to Revelation, homosexuality is never allowed. Guess what? Murder is never allowed. Killing and murder are two different things. There's a protection of life, and there are times when God calls to be an act of judgment on others. He did that in the Old Testament with the Assyrians, the Babylonians. It's all of that stuff, okay? So we can go into that some other time. I'll get back to this, and we'll close up shortly, okay? Just hear me out on this. What about women? Is that normative or non-normative? Okay, so do we base doctrine and theology on non-normative teaching? No, you don't, because that's where legalism finds its way into the church. It's where we, we start to impose our own ideals and our own thoughts on Scripture where it's not a good thing. And so what we do is we're adding to and taking away from God's Word, and that's really bad stuff. We don't do that, right? Because it says you shouldn't add to or take away from any letter of this, okay? So where is it non-normative? And I know people are going to roll their eyes. I'm going to bring up Deborah. But guess what? Deborah in the Old Testament, we talked about her a little bit last year. She was a judge. Before there were any kings that ruled Israel, there were judges. Deborah was a judge. Guess what Deborah did as a judge, as all judges do? They were the commander-in-chief of the army. Do you get that? Commander-in-chief. El Presidente. <laughs> right? They were the supreme spiritual leader helping to judge correctly the law to the people on behalf of God. Okay? You don't like Deborah or that story, you think I've taken that out of context. There's Esther's, there's Ruth. Oh yeah, but they played a subservient role. Did they? I mean, read the books. Esther's 11 chapters, Ruth is four. She played the cultural part of a woman in her context, but how did God use her? He used her as a leader. She did things that would have gotten women killed in her day. She was bold and went before the culture of the time and basically set herself up for failure. You don't believe that? Fine. Go to the New Testament. You know, Paul gets a rap for being a sexist pig because he's the one that wrote the Timothy and the Titus passages. Let me talk about some other passages that those that use Paul's word against women in an equal status of ministry or leadership, he gets a bad rap for that. But in Romans, do you know he commends a prophetess? So what's a prophet? No. Prophet's a male? No. She is a prophetess. So a prophet's not only a male, a prophet can be a female. Prophet or prophetess, what do they do for God? They speak on behalf of God to the people, rightly dividing God's words. Okay? 
Why? For conviction, for transformation, for judgment, you name it. So there's a prophetess that he commends. He doesn't say, you need to go home and start cooking meals again. What's your problem? Get back to where you're supposed to be. He commends her. There are other, like there's a commendation in Acts for Philip's daughters, all four of them. Guess what? They're prophetesses. So what I'm getting at here, because this, this goes back to this. You see what Paul is doing, he's trying to help people understand who Christ is and what he does. And when he comes back into a community of faith or people's lives, he sets the record straight. He breaks the curse. If you go to Genesis 3, what are the curses that envelop or come from, if you will, that situation? Adam will have to work his tail off to scrape by, by the sweat of his brow, to make a living. How many of you feel that way? It's hard, isn't it? Look, I'm sweating already. I'm working. No, just kidding. Well, I kind of am, but you know what I'm talking about. And what was Eve? You will have increased pains in childbearing, but that's where we leave off. Guess what? Your thoughts and your yearnings will be for your husband. But what will happen? He'll rule over you. Was that a prescription by God? I'm going to give you a prescription and take this three times a day and all of it will be. So the curse wasn't a prescription. It was, here's what's going to happen. Because of what you've done, you set in motion some bad consequences. And this is what it's going to look like from here on out. It's going to look this way. Because you've broken everything. You've broken everything. But Jesus comes onto the scene, and what has been perpetuated for millennia up to Jesus, now Jesus comes and he says, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. The greatest is least, and the least is greatest. The greatest among you will serve those. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And you see all of this kind of stuff. And you see Jesus hanging out with women by wells, which was socially unacceptable in that day and age. Prostitutes nonetheless. Imagine Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, hanging out with a prostitute. That looks great on a resume. Right? See, Jesus is setting the record straight because he is God in the flesh and he's reestablishing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And when he says the kingdom is near you, the kingdom has come, but it is also to become. Here's what he's saying. The kingdom is here because I'm here and I am king of the kingdom. Amen. And I'm going to do something for you you guys can't do for yourselves. Okay, I'm going to set the record straight because you guys have continued on and on to make a mess of things. And I've continued to work with your messes. But I love you. And I want you with me. And so if it means I have to come and do it for you, then I'll do it. Because I want it to be like it was in the perfectness of the garden again. And so Paul who gives stipulations about women remaining silent, you have to understand what was going on in the church to which Paul was writing Timothy. 
And Timothy was leading at the time. You have to understand cultural norms at the time. You have to understand a lot that's going on in the text. And you can't understand that unless you become a student of the word. And you really dig in. And you really press. And you say, God, I don't understand this. Help me to understand what your word really means. Because I don't want to perpetuate a curse if you've came to set us free. Do you hear me? A couple of you do. And I'm probably not making friends at this moment because I know in the church, and I'm saying the universal church, this is one of the hotly divided topics. I've had people come in here in the past seven years saying, where do you stand on women in ministry? And I've said, well, we actually ordain women and they sit on our boards and sometimes they preach on stage and we have women pastors in our movement of churches and well, how can you do that? And they just want to pick a fight. And I'm like, listen, I'm not going to fight with you. Maybe we just aren't the church for you. But do you understand what God's word truly says? Do you really understand it? Are you only, are you only giving in to what you've been fed by other people? You got to understand it. See, God created man. He created woman from man. They were perfect in union together. She was his strength. She completed him. She was a co-equal and partner. She wasn't relegated just to the home. Now, she different? Of course she's different. I'm not going to get into this nonsense about gender uh, fluidity. She was female. He was male. But they were perfectly female and perfectly male. And they perfectly connected together. Okay, lastly, because I've gone way off. It's two, two weeks of not preaching. We'll do that to you. I've been building up. <laughs> All right. In the perfectness of God's creation, here's the third point. In the perfectness of God's creation, Adam and Eve lived in complete joy, naked, unashamed, in complete unity. And this is a whole sermon in itself, so I'm going to very much condense it. If you want this when, when I'm done, you can bid on it on eBay. So I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Nobody cares about having my notes. Anywho, listen to this, all right? Sorry. Adam and Eve have a, didn't have a physical father or mother. Did you know that? They had a spiritual father. Guess what? They weren't birthed the way you and I are birthed through our mother's womb. We just, we just they, they had a different creation. God formed them from the dust of the ground. God formed Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. And from Adam's side, he takes and creates woman of the same substance that he is. And they're looking at each other with perfect, pure eyes, not eyes of lust because sin hasn't entered the world yet. They look at each other and they're not ashamed with each other. How many of you are married and you feel like you constantly have to cover yourself even in front of your spouse? Maybe you don't. See, the ones who are truly comfortable with each other knows the other one loves them for who they are and not for what they look like and they can walk around with no clothes and not be ashamed. But see, we live in a world now, and it's not about physical nakedness. Just hear me out on this. It's about emotional transparency. It's about intellectual transparency. It's about our thought life. It's about not holding back from each other. It, 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 we don't have secrets in marriage. Did you know that? 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. This is a rhetorical question, but how many of you have secrets you hold back from your spouses? That's a result of sin. Because, see, there's obviously something, if you're holding back, that you're ashamed of. And in essence, you're standing naked before your husband or your wife, and you're trying to cover up emotionally and otherwise. See, in order to truly rejoice in God's creation, to truly rejoice in your husband, your wife, your friends, your family members, how much, can I ask you a question? How much easier would it be if you didn't have to keep secrets? Honestly? You know, one of the, one of the greatest and biggest ways the enemy holds control over us is beginning us to believe that when we make a mistake or when we do something we know we shouldn't have done, then we need to hide it. Instead of owning up to it and saying, look, I did this, I shouldn't have done it. If he can keep us hiding that sin or hiding that displeasure or hiding that disobedience, guess what he's done? He's won over us. He's got us under his thumb and he's pressing down and he's saying, listen, if they see this about you, they'll reject you and they won't, want, they won't love you and they won't want you around anymore and they'll think less of you. If you say this thing, how many of you would be so much freer if you could just let all secrets go? Huh? Honestly. See, nothing's changed. Because Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God, ate of the fruit, their eyes were opened. They knew good and evil because they had just committed evil. They only knew good. Do you understand that? They only knew good up to that point. And when they disobeyed God, they knew evil, and now they had something to hide. And where does it say they went whenever God came looking for them in the garden? They went and hid. And he's calling out to them, where are you? And it's not physically, where are you? Where are you emotionally? Where are you spiritually? There's now something between us. Well, we hid because we saw we were naked. And we were shamed. Who told you you were naked? And then the blame game starts. <laughs> Adam says, well, the woman you gave me, she took some of the fruit from the tree you told us not to eat from, and, and I ate it. And she says, well, the serpent, he was there, and he, was, he said it was good to eat, and I ate it. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> if we want to rejoice in all that God has created, there can be only transparency. When you come to Jesus, that's why confession is so important. When you talk about confess your sins one to another and confess to God. Have you, do you, First John in the, in the New Testament, confess your sins one to another. How scary is that? It's scary for me. When I mess up to have to go to a brother or sister and say, you know what, um, I messed up. And you know what's so funny is oftentimes our closest relatives or friends or our husband or a wife say, yeah, I know you did. <laughs> right? And we're hiding it for what reason? Because we're ashamed. 
you want to experience true joy, you have to come to this place where your faith is not private, where your life is not private, but where you live in transparency. Well, I'm not going to tell everybody everything I think. No, that's not healthy either. When people go to extremes in their mind, it makes me question, where are you in your relationship to Christ? Because when you hear something come from my lips and you go to the automatic extreme the other way or this way, there's no healthy balance. And if there's no healthy balance, then where are you looking for your source of hope and foundation of truth? Adam and Eve were created perfectly for each other. They were the perfect first community. And the enemy has continued to wreak havoc on our relationships, hasn't he? This year, as we look to what it means to live in God's perfect joy, that joy unspeakable and full of glory, as the old hymn says, as our worship team comes forward, if you're looking to live that way, then what is holding you back? If you live with a source or a sense of negativity in your life, if things are pressing in on you and, and you're seeing the glass is half empty, where, where are you spiritually, emotionally, physically? Where are you in all of those arenas? Are you surrendered to God through Christ Jesus in all areas of life, mentally, emotionally? That's why Jesus says the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't just say love, your love God and love your neighbor. We shorten it that way to make it easier for us to translate to other people. But he's saying love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Are you doing that? Are you living that way? Or are you walking around with a ton of insecurities because of your own failures or what you believe are failures and you are ashamed of who you are? And it's not only affecting you, it's affected your marriage, it's affected your friendships, it's affected any other relationship in your life because you have these hang-ups about you that you just can't get over. See, one of the things I understand about the Holy Spirit is when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in us. And it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is. I'm sorry, what is that? Some of you that have heard that before know. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And some of the people that are living in the most bondage aren't those outside of these four walls, but those that come to church regularly. And have hidden these deep, dark secrets of sin in their lives. And they're holding on to it as if it's their baby. And they're nurturing that. And it's eating them away. Do you want freedom and deliverance today? I guess it's the best offer for you that I can offer you through Christ Jesus. If you need deliverance from hurts, habits, hang-ups, that's one of the celebrate recovery lines when we used to have that. If you need release from those things, there is a God who loves you and says, I know everything about you and I still love you. I perfectly knit you together in your mother's womb. I have a purpose for you. I just want you to see that and live into that. If you want freedom... There is freedom today. Thanks for joining us this week. 
Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.